You're listening to Docs Outside the Box, Episode 1. Welcome to Docs Outside the Box Podcast. This is your official show, looking inside the minds of cutting-edge and innovative doctors. Think you'll find these stories in any medical textbook? Sorry. You're getting real-life insight from men and women pushing the envelope beyond medicine. Ordinary doctors doing extraordinary things. Let's start now with your host, Dr. Nee Darko. All right, all right, all right, everyone. Welcome to my new podcast. It's called Docs Outside the Box, and this is my first podcast, my first ever podcast, and I'm really excited about it, okay? Let me give you a little bit of a introduction as to who I am. My name is Dr. Nee Darko, and I'm a trauma surgeon located in Central PA. Just a little bit about myself. I did my medical school in Kansas City, Missouri at the Kansas City University of Medicine and Biosciences and got a little bit of crazy with degrees. And not only did I get my osteopathic degree, but I also got a MBA in healthcare leadership. And then from there, I went down to Hotlanta and um, I spent the next five years doing a general surgery residency with the Morehouse School of Medicine. And then after that, I decided to go down to Miami and I spent a year down there doing a trauma critical care fellowship. So after all those years of training, all those years of delayed gratification from being a pre-med to getting into medical school, delaying gratification then until you get into residency and then getting into fellowship and doing more delayed gratification, then the next step for me was I had to find a job. Problem though is I did so many different interviews and I interviewed at these places. You spend four to six hours at this hospital and then all of a sudden, bam, they hand you this contract. And it's signed this contract here for three, maybe even five years. And I had a hard time, you know, grasping that concept of, okay, I'm going to spend the next three to five years of my life with you based off of a four to six hour, you know, interview. It just didn't seem right to me. So I decided to do a short stint of locum tenens. Okay. And what turned out to be a short stint turned out to be about a year and a half of locum tenens for me. I ended up doing jobs in Pennsylvania, which where I am currently located. Um, but I also did some jobs in Minnesota. I did some jobs in Idaho. Um, I did a bunch of different jobs all over the place. And you know what? I ended up meeting doctors from both spectrums. And what I mean by that is, there were physicians who were at the end of their career and they were getting ready to retire. There were physicians who were just like me who were getting ready to start. And then there were also physicians who just were very frustrated with their careers and didn't want to be employed anymore. So they were um, doing locums. So I met physicians at both ends of the spectrum. And, you know, whatever their story was, I realized that the ones that really resonated with me were the really interesting non-traditional type stories, those who were living literally outside the box. Some of these doctors were doing things like doing medical mission work, particularly in West Africa at the height of the Ebola scare. Some people were doing things like writing for blogs, writing for newspapers, um, you know, just exciting things like running businesses. You know, one was even a medical consultant, you know, for a pretty popular show on CBS and basically what I thought to myself was, man, like I really wish I had been exposed to these type of stories, these type of doctors so I could pick their brain when I was a pre-med student or even when I was in medical school. Because, you know, who knows? I may have changed direction. I may have done something different. I'm a bit of a tech type nerd type guy. And 
Um, you know, who's to say I may have would have gone in a different direction or done something differently um, had I known that you can do these type of things earlier on. But just to bring things back, I was just about to go on too much of a tangent, but just to bring things back and, and let you know the moral of that story. The, the moral is, is that, look, if I'm feeling like this, if I'm really feeling like this, I can't be the only one in the entire world who feels the same way. I mean, these stories really need to be brought out to the masses. Real talk. It's my hope to bring you interviews um, with up and coming, exciting, dynamic, creative docs who are literally thriving off the beaten path. All right. These interviews that you're going to hear, these discussions, they should inspire you to do what you always wanted to do, but either talk yourself out of it. You know, your schedule gets in the way. You know, you got too many patients one day or look, you know, life just got in the way. All right. So look, ultimately, this podcast is for you. All right, listeners, I know it's recorded. And although it's recorded, you still have a say on who's going to be on the show. So what I hope to gain from you is, look, not only your interests, that'd be great. But look, I really need your comments. Okay, so whether they're good, whether they're bad. I'm a big boy. Plus, I did a general surgery residency. So let's be real. I mean, I can take the criticism. So leave your comments on iTunes. Leave your comments on Stitcher Radio or just tweet me directly at DocsOTB. And you never know. You may see some changes. So look, enough talking. Let's get on with the show, okay? There are so many adjectives that you can use to describe my first guest. You can use, I don't know, you can use Jet Setter. You can use World Traveler, Explorer. You can use Crazy. <laughs> but whatever adjective you want to use uh, to describe my first guest, be sure to add Doc outside the box. You're going to be hearing from Dr. Carmen Brown, who's an obstetrician, um, who practices with her husband, who's also an anesthesiologist, all the way down under in New Zealand. I actually, um, I was actually introduced to Dr. Carmen Brown by my wife. They connected on a Facebook um, group called Mocha Docs. Some of you all um, who are listening right now know exactly what I'm talking about. But it's a it's a Facebook group where women physicians of color, you know, they connect, they interact. Um, they also network with each other on a daily basis. So Dr. Brown's story of her life in New Zealand uh, really resonated with my wife to the point where uh, my wife actually passed along her contact information to me and thought that she'd be an excellent guest for the show. I contacted her and, you know, the guest, the rest is history. So um, in this episode, I'm really excited to bring this episode to you, not just because she's, you know, my first podcast guest but also because of the perspective that she's going to bring to the show. You know, in this show, you're going to learn how a woman from Southwest Atlanta um, basically became frustrated with her work-life balance as an obstetrician. And actually, the key words is, should be actually lack thereof of a work-life balance. But basically, this frustration led her and her husband on a world tour, eventually ending up in New Zealand. Make sure you pick up on the part about the financial preparation that was needed um, to do something like this, Okay. Um, and also she's going to talk about the differences, the similarities between the U S and the New Zealand healthcare system. Also, we're going to get down to the nitty gritty. I'm going to ask her, look, you know, what's diversity like in New Zealand? And is there any difference between New Zealand and the United States? What's it like to be an African American woman physician who's practicing in New Zealand? She's also going to give tips for you all physicians who are on the fence about something like this. Um, but just, maybe a little bit too scared to do something. All right. 
So I know some of you all are like, look, would you just get with the show? Get on with it. All right. All right. I hear you. I hear you. So look, without further ado, I introduce you to the one, the only Dr. Carmen Brown. Hi, Dr. Carmen Brown. Yes. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. Is it morning over there? It is actually. I'm sorry. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us on the Docs Outside the Box podcast. You are our first guest, first victim, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds great. The inaugural uh, episode of Doctors Doctors Outside the Box. So I just wanted to thank you for joining us. Um, I know you are in New Zealand, which is roughly 18 hours away. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So right now it's uh, about two o'clock here on the East Coast of the United States. Uh, Can you tell us what time it is where you are? Uh, it's 8 o'clock in the morning, and it's Sunday morning, so we are a full day in advance. <laughs> a full day in advance. Um, the first question I want to ask you is, um, tell us uh, from tell us where you're from, tell us what city, um, also tell us what college, medical school, residency um, that, you, uh, that you're from, and uh, the medical school that you went to, and what residency um, that you went to. All right. Well, um, I'm actually from Atlanta originally, born and raised. Um, I am actually from southwest Atlanta, if you want to get technical. Um, I went to undergrad at Tulane University uh, in New Orleans. I actually majored in uh, cell and molecular biology. Um, And then I went on to Morehouse School of Medicine uh, for medical school uh, back in Atlanta near my family. Um, After Morehouse, I actually finished um, my residency in OBGYN, um, and that was in uh, St. Joseph's Hospital in Houston, Texas. Okay. And you did a residency in OB? I did, yes. All right. Did you do any additional training, fellowship? No, no. I'm just a general OBGYN. So tell us about what happened after you finished residency. Dr. Brown finishes residency. She decides to get a job. What was your first job? So my first job actually was back in Georgia. I actually wanted to go back home. So I actually got a job in Athens, Georgia. Um, I was working for a private practice, uh, and it was just about an hour and a half outside of Atlanta. Um, I stayed there for almost two years and actually ended up leaving because my husband found a, a much better job. Um, in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. So we actually moved to Phoenix after that. He's an anesthesiologist. Oh, so two doctors. Yes. <laughs> so you, you ended up going out to Arizona. And uh, can you say yes. the place that you went to again? Uh, I was in Phoenix, Arizona. How long were you out there for? Well, we were out in Phoenix for a very long time. Actually, I've stayed out there for the next like seven to eight years. Um, I did do another, <clears throat> excuse me, another private practice. Uh, that I did for another two years. And then I realized private practice wasn't for me. I kind of started to feel that there was something more, something I was missing, and I just wasn't feeling that that professional fulfillment, honestly. Um, So after Uh, doing another two years of private practice, um, I decided that maybe I should become like a faculty physician. So I actually um, became a a faculty uh, physician at St. Joseph Hospital in Phoenix, Arizona, um, so I was, you know, responsible for teaching residents, um, you know, doing grand rounds, doing lectures, supervising them on labor and delivery, supervising them in surgery, 
Um, I also did some clinic, uh, you know, privately, but it was mostly just kind of a faculty position. And I stayed with them for uh, almost five years. So I was in teach for quite some time, for uh, seven years, definitely. So can you pinpoint, um, because you're working with residents, Mm -hmm. obviously, um, you're, you have a private practice financially, you must've been doing okay. What yes. can you pinpoint for us? What exactly was the, the unfulfillment at where, where was the, um, the disconnect? So I guess the thing is, is that to me, I had, I felt like all those years I was kind of churning away and working so hard. And as most people know, whether you're in a private practice or even if you're an employed physician, like I was at St. Joe's, you just really don't have a lot of downtime, a lot of off time. I was full-time working five days a week, commuting in, you know, two hours a day type of thing. And I just really felt like I never had any time off. And I think which makes it worse is that we are a two-doctor family. And so with my husband being on call and working and me being on call and working, I just really felt like we didn't have a lot of of time together. And so chasing your tail. Yeah, exactly. Vacations became very important to us because that was our only time to like really spend together. So Mm -hmm. we started doing little things like taking long weekends together. I would take a Friday off and we would like, you know, drive to Vegas or, you know, go to LA or something like that. But after a while, you just, you really wanted to have more time off. And I only had off, um, uh, three weeks of vacation a year. That's all I had for the entire year. And um, we just decided one year that, you know what, we're going to really maximize this. We are going to take a really big vacation. We're going to take two weeks off and we're going to spend some really good time together. And that's where our first international trip came from. I had never gone out of the United States before. I didn't even own a passport until I so, left so- the United States. What age? What? How old are you now at this point? Oh, let's see. I right now I am forty three. Um, I left the United States for the very first time. I, that was in two thousand and seven, I believe. So that was wow. that was a wow. that was recently as far as things go. So I got my first passport in two thousand and seven, which oh, is. Wow. It's you know it's a stat that you hear a lot of Americans like only I think 30 percent of the U.S. population actually has a passport and when you exclude military personnel and diplomats so it's not a lot of us out there that actually carry passports like you know up to date you know passports so I was one of them Um, but that's pretty much started my like desire to kind of go overseas we went overseas for the very first time my very first trip out of the United States to China, which is a random place to go for your very first time out of the country. But that was my very first trip. We went to All Beijing. Right, well, way to shoot for the stars. Right. <laughs> I know, right? You know, it was, and it was interesting. The way we actually went was like, I literally, we contacted a travel agent. We said, we have a $3,000 budget. Where can we go in the world? And he like totally pulled it out the box and was like, hey, you want to go to China for nine days? And we're like, sure. <laughs> so really? we did that. Okay. $3,000 budget, believe it or not. But, um, it, you know, and it opened my eyes to, like, how big and how amazing the world is. And um, it just really kind of got me, like, yearning to go, you know, again and somewhere else. So from that point on, we planned a trip every single year. So we went to China one year. The next year we went to um, Brazil. The next year we went to um, South Africa. Uh, and the next year we went to Australia and New Zealand. And that kind of is <laughs> when things shifted for me significantly. <laughs> Well, since you're in New Zealand, did you ever come back from that first trip or uh, did you come back multiple times? 
Well, when we New Zealand, believe it or not, was actually our last kind of international trip together. That was in 2009. And oh, wow. at okay. that point, um, I kind of felt like at work, I felt like I just really still wasn't getting that time off to spend with my husband. I really felt that I wanted more time like off to actually enjoy life. And I just kind of felt like that three weeks just was not enough to actually enjoy life. And I didn't have a work-life balance. I just really felt like there was something wrong. Um, and there were some things going on at work that were not really making me happy. I, I specifically got that job to become a faculty physician and work with residents exclusively and to not have a large private practice. And my job was kind of moving towards wanting to market us as private physicians and wanting me to really take that role as a private physician again. And I definitely was against that. And so I kind of came to an impasse where I didn't want to do that. And I felt myself slipping away again. And uh, that's when we made the decision. You know, we were like, you know right. what? There's got to be a better way. And and because we had just come back from Australia and New Zealand and actually had met American expatriates there um, and actually talked to some people that knew American physicians and talked to actually an American physician that was there, I was done. I was like, well, she can do it. Why can't we? You know? And mm, that, okay. was that was it. That was it. Okay. So you went to New Zealand, you met expatriates, you come back to the mm -hmm. United States. Tell, take us through that process where you said, you and your husband said, you know what, uh, we're going to consider doing this on a full-time basis. Like, was that the yes. type of conversation you had or yes, make us like a fly was, on the wall during this sure. conversation? So um, after we came back from our trip to Australia and New Zealand, I, I think something had totally shifted in both of us where we were coming back and we were unhappy about coming back. And everybody's a little bummed when you come back from a trip, but this was a little bit more palpable. Like we really felt like, I don't want to go back to do this and I can't do this for the next 20 years. And that's the actual statement I made to my husband. And I, was, I said, I cannot do this for another 20 years, but we had to, we had, you know, before we retire, you got to work for another 20 years. So yeah, at that point, we're sitting here at a, a crossroads, like trying to figure out, like, what are we going to do for the next 20 years of our lives and how are we going to work as physicians? And I wanted to do something different. And, and he was totally on board. He's like, you are so right. You know, there's different ways to practice medicine, and I think we should explore this. And so um, I gave my notice at my job. And, uh, of course, they all thought I was kind of crazy. Yeah, that's what I want uh, to know. So what yeah. was that conversation like with people at your job when you told them that, you know, hey, I'm, I'm resigning and was it I'm resigning and I'm going to New Zealand or was it just I'm just resigning? It was I'm resigning and I'm going to do locums in New Zealand. Because at the time, we didn't know that there was an option to do something permanent. So we had signed up for a locums company and they told us that they can easily get us something in New Zealand. So I told the job, I was like, you know, I'm resigning. Of course, they asked me why. And I explained to them all the different reasons why I wasn't happy. And most of them was because of the work-life balance, which, of course, they could not fix. And, um, yeah, I told them, yeah, I'm doing welcome to New Zealand. And they were like, why? Where is that? And, you know, a lot of, a lot of that kind of thing. <laughs> so we yeah. Glazed over their eyes. And what are you doing? <laughs> so, yep, that's actually how the conversation went. So I, we did actually resign our jobs. And um, the, the thing at that point is we were like, you know, we had done very well with our money. Um, we are, we are very good savers. We have always believed in saving lots and lots of money and, and living well, well below our means. So at that point we had a very nice cushion 
and we still didn't have, you know, everything set up in New Zealand yet. We were still waiting for them to kind of find us jobs. And so we decided, you know, since we have this time and we have some money, we're going to travel some more. And um, my husband and I went on a round-the-world trip, and we spent six months traveling around the world together. Six months? Wow. Yes. It was seriously like the best time of my life. <laughs> so when you say that you have some savings without getting into too much specifics into your own pocket, basically. But in terms of um, an emergency fund or in terms of uh, month savings, did you have like one, two, three, maybe even six months of uh, savings or we had, how much did you have had, backed up? We had a year, more than a year probably. A year. Um, be- wow. Because we lived so far below our means uh, that – we had a lot of money saved up. Um, for example, we're two physician household. We only lived off of one salary. The other salary was saved completely. So yeah, that's how it is in our household. We live off yep. of uh, one person's household, one, one salary. person, we, one salary. We, we yep. pretend like the other person does not even exist. So, and uh, honestly, that was not my design. That's my husband. I have to give him all the credit. I was a terrible favorite when he met me, like terrible. Like I was the kind of chick that would bounce checks like on a regular basis. Also, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bank of America loves you. They did. <laughs> all the overdraft fees. Uh-huh. They okay. love me. So that was the kind of person I was, but he taught me the importance of savings. And he also taught me what you can do when you do save. And that was like one of the biggest lessons. And I will definitely, you know, shout that from a mountaintop to anyone that will listen because it totally changed my life. That savings and how he taught me to save was the reason why we were able to travel for six months. And then the funny thing is we even travel on six months and, but we still did it on the budget. It didn't even spend that much money. People will still not believe us when we tell them how much we spent and they're like, that's impossible. Like, no, seriously, this is all we spent. So, <laughs> You know, I think it's interesting you mentioned that because it, from a financial perspective, I mean, you can attest to this. I can attest to this. We get no training whatsoever in None. finances, even basic things such as, um, you know, expenses and income, um, you know, trying to make a spreadsheet it's really interesting that you mentioned that because I know, for example, when I met my wife, from my savings standpoint, savings was something that I done in my that I did in my mind. I didn't keep it, you know, in a spreadsheet. I didn't keep a, account of all of that stuff. And once we combined our finances together and put things in on a spreadsheet or actually made a budget, we were so much more in control of our finances. We actually told our money what to do instead of the money telling us what to do. So I find it amazing exactly. that you mentioned that. Exactly. I totally agree. So so once you, you did your world tour and you ended up in New Zealand, yes. did you do when you did your world tour, you did that for about a year? So no, we were gone for six months. So after six months? we okay. stopped yep, after we stopped working like January twenty ten, uh we immediately left the United States and literally just started traveling. And we hit like 27 countries in a six-month kind of time period. So it was kind of a, kind of a hectic sometimes kind of a, you know travel schedule. But we, you know, we fit it all in. And during the trip, we were actually contacted by a locums company and told us that they found jobs for us in New Zealand. So literally during the trip, we we're like faxing CVs and you know medical licenses wow. and stuff. Thankfully, we bought all that stuff with us because we knew we were gonna you know have to find a job. And so we bought a lot of our documents with us. So, you know, we're faxing stuff from the hotel in, you know, Barcelona to like the <laughs> locums company. And <laughs> by the time we finished our trip, we came back to the United States in June of 2010. 
by July 2010, I was in New Zealand because they wanted me to start as soon as possible. Like, they like, we needed OB like yesterday. So they like begged me to come immediately. So I started in July 2010. Um, and then Bruce kind of finished up at the house, kind of closed everything up, you know, kind of thing. And then he actually followed me in August of 2010. So I was there for a couple of months by myself working. Um, and that, you know, we were there for an entire year and a half working in New Zealand. So, um, yeah, yeah, so it was really good. So what what, is, what was the first day like going into a hospital in New Zealand and not going to visit, not going to be a patient, but you're actually in control of what's going on? You're the physician. What was that like? So it was crazy, but like most physicians, I'm super type A. So I didn't go in completely blind. I've done a lot of reading on their health system. I just got online and started reading, you know, some of their, you know, health, you know, documents and just anything I could find published by the you know, New Zealand government. And I learned a lot about their system. And I also talked to people in the department. And interesting enough, the department I started working at was all American, which is a whole nother story because it's there's okay. a lot of American physicians here. So it's not like you're like, wow, well, well, if you're the first one, that's usually not going to be the case. There's probably going to be some other American physicians that will kind of help transition you. And that's exactly what I had. So it wasn't as bad as, you know, kind of just walking in blind kind of thing. But I did get a chance to read and talk to people, kind of learn how their system was different, but it still doesn't prepare you for actually being in it. So the actual medicine is the same. You know, medicine is the same. You take care of patients. You know, I'm an obstetrician. I deliver babies. That is going to be the same pretty much no matter where you are. But how they do things as far as what actual prescriptions you can write, what the government will cover, um, you know, working in their healthcare system because they have a nationalized health system. You know, those types of things, those nuances I had to learn. So quite honestly, the first, I would say the first six months, I walked around with like a little notebook on me at all times. So I scribbled down notes when I learned something new or learned something that was unique to New Zealand so that I would know what to do next time kind of thing. So it, yeah, it was definitely a learning curve. Mm, okay, because that leads into my next question. So I just want to know how does the New Zealand health system uh, compare to the United States system? For example, like what what's your lifestyle like now compared to when you were back in the states? Um, you know, your schedule, your pay, mm. what's it like interacting with patients? All of that. What what's the big difference? Well, let's see. Quite honestly, it's like it's almost like you have to take everything that you know about the U.S. training and health system and just throw it away because that's the mm. best way I explain to physicians coming here. The harder you search for commonalities, the more frustrated you will be because it is so incredibly different. Um, on every single level, it's so different. So, for example, and starting with the reason why I left was a work-life balance. I was searching for that. I really wanted to spend more time with my husband, who's also a physician, is also taking call. It can be very difficult when you're both out of the house a lot. So for us having you know quality time off is so critical, and in in New Zealand, like a lot of other first world nations, physicians are unionized, which means we actually have rights that the hospital or your job cannot take away from you. One what? of the things that all are you serious? Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. They have yeah. it in the UK. There are a lot of places. Australia, like it's not. We're, it's like we're the only ones that don't, but kind of thing. But so as a so part the, of the so the, so the healthcare union, system is. The healthcare system is nationalized and the physicians are unionized are above unionized. that also. 
Wow. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So as a part of the physician union, they have guaranteed that all physicians have a set benefit package. All of us get the same thing. There's there's no secret or surprise what I get compared to like somebody else. It doesn't matter what specialty or how many years of training you've had. Um, all of us get six weeks of vacation a year. All of us get two weeks of CME leave a year. Six and weeks we of vacation? Get, yes. And two <laughs> That's what I CME. heard. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yes, and we get two weeks of CME leave. Okay. And, and this is, of course, for full-time physicians. Obviously, if you're part-time, it's prorated. So that's, you know, obviously common sense. But, yeah, so for a full-time physician, that's what you're getting, and that's what you're working with. You also get um, sick leave. Um, and you also get a very generous maternity leave. So, uh, you know, a physician that, you know, has a baby, she um, could be off for six months paid. And then she could take another six months off unpaid if she desired. So she could take a whole year off um, if she desired uh, to be at home with her baby. So it, wait, we have wait, all these. Wait, wait, stop, stop. You got it. Wait, hold on a second. Wait. <laughs> Because I know my wife mentioned this to me, but I really wasn't paying attention when she mentioned that. So once again, say that again. How long for maternity leave? So you get 24 paid weeks off for maternity leave. So that's six months. Plus you could take another six months unpaid. So you get a total of one year off and your job is guaranteed. So you, you don't have to worry about losing it or them kicking you to the curb or anything like that. So, yeah, that is what you get. And this is not unique. You know, a lot of other countries do this. Like in Europe, actually, in Europe, some places in Europe, they have even better leave packages. So you look at France and Sweden and Denmark and, you know, those kind of places. You get leave packages that are very generous for maternity benefits and paternity benefits. So there are there is a such thing as paternal leave, too. You know, I, I always heard that the United States lagged behind other countries in terms of maternity leave and paternity leave. I just didn't know that that was such a vast difference. We are the only country that does not offer paid maternity leave. There's only actually two in the world, and one is in Africa. So I think Burkina Faso. So we are so far behind, it's ridiculous um, as far as offering paid and protected maternity leave for woman, women. So, yeah, we're, it's really... Yeah, it's really eye-opening to see the kind of benefits that you get in other places. And that's, that's kind of the thing that I was looking for. When I talk about a work-life balance, we're looking at, like, all aspects of your work and life. You know what I mean? So, you know, it's just not, you know, what, what about a sick parent? You know, you could take sick leave here, and it doesn't have to be you that's sick. That blew my mind. Like, if my child is sick and I need to be off, that I can use my sick leave to do that. I don't have to just be like begging to be off and freaking out and that kind of thing. It just, it just, it really makes sense here. And they just really subscribe to the thing. If you're happy, you're going to work well. And that's all there is to it. It's not like a, a magical formula. If you're happy, you're going to be a happy worker. And that's all there is to it. And it's not like we're robots. I think that's the standpoint that people believe here in the United States. It's physicians are robots. They're not connected to a social life whatsoever. Nothing affects them outside of the hospital. But it looks like, you know, and that that thought process is kind of archaic compared to what you're telling me, um, you know, the lifestyle or at least the expectation is of physicians, at least in New Zealand or in other countries right. outside of the United States. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But um, and to go back to your question about the things that are different, because this is a nationalized health system, that means every New Zealand citizen, every New Zealand permanent resident or, you know, basically like a green card holder is entitled to free health care. 
Um, now, there's good points and bad points about it. I have a nice perspective because I'm coming from a system that is completely different from theirs. But the parts that I see that are beautiful about it is that you cannot get bankrupted by needing health care. That even if you have a heart attack or a stroke or unfortunately cancer or need a transplant, you're not going to go broke because it's free. Any test that I order on a patient, any surgery I do on a patient, any examination I do on a patient, it's free. I don't have to get a prior authorization. I don't have to do any of those things. I just can take care of the whole patient. And I don't have to worry about how much this will cost them or if there's a cheaper method that I can offer them type of thing. Um, so that's it's the benefit of being a physician in that type of system where I get to kind of offer care and not have to worry about the business aspect. There is no such thing as billing and coding here for physicians. So when I do something on a what? patient, I just I write Are a you note, serious? and that's pretty much all I do. Yes, there's no billing and coding. There's no such thing as an ICD-10. None of that. None of that is that doesn't <laughs> exist in our world. Wow. I just take care of patients. It's just like being a physician to, to me and talking to older physicians in the United States. It's like being a physician back in the 1950s and 60s, you know, before there was Cigna and United Healthcare and, you know, coding and billing and those types of things. It's way before all of that where you just saw a patient, you take care of them, you write a note and a plan, and that's it. It just, that's it. It's really all there is that you have to do. And yeah, it's just, it's a very streamlined process. I mean, we do have um, like an electronic kind of system that has your notes uploaded into it. So it's still, it's, it's very modern. We do have, you know, labs that are uploaded into a computer system, but you don't use it for billing. You don't use it for typing your notes per se. It's not, it's not that at all. It's, just really kind of an electronic record so you can kind of see the notes once they've been literally uploaded into the system. So it's not, not at all what we use back home. Hmm. Now, okay, so that was all the good. Is there anything that's really bad or something that um, really stands out that's a negative uh, that in terms of the system that you're working in right now? Yes. So that's the, that's the other thing. Now, I will be, I'm, I always tell people I'm very honest. I'm never like going to be the person that tells you, oh my God, it's so great over here. You know, you got to come, you got to come, you got to come. I won't tell people that because not everybody is cut out to be here. There I've already are, packed my bags already. <laughs> <laughs> my bags are already packed. Things, <laughs> there's certain things that you might not like, and it goes from everything from, you know, social aspects all the way down. Um, so, you know, when I talk about like, you know, social or personal aspects, I am very, very, very far away from my friends and family. I mean, that's, I mean, we're, here we are talking, you know, we're 18 hours apart. Um, it's, it's sometimes it can be very difficult when you're away from your support. Uh, your mom and dad aren't going to want to just pick up and move to New Zealand. Uh, it just doesn't work that way. So when we make this decision, we made it based on our family and what would be best for us. And you kind of have to kind of plan out what you're going to do about those other relationships and how often are you going to go home? And, you know, do you have friends and family that be willing to travel and come see you? So there, there's a lot of things that you will miss out on. And I'm not going to be able to go to everyone's wedding or, you know, christenings or graduations and everything. Financially, it just doesn't make sense. So there's going to be some things that you have to be willing to sacrifice and, you know, some people can't do that. Some people can't, you know, can't, you know, just not see their friends and family, but like once or twice a year. And that's fine. Um, 
you know, the other thing is, is that you are going to be a serious minority here. I mean, I joke in everything and say about, you know, how many African-Americans might be here. But quite honestly, it's probably less than, you know, a couple of hundred in the whole country of four plus million people. So and I probably know most of them. <laughs> so, right. so, so I think I know all, the network. all of us. We all know each other kind of thing. So, you know, that's that's another issue that some people might not be used to. And it's funny that people think that um, I'm okay with it because I'm from Atlanta. I'm from a very predominant African-American city. And for me to be somewhere that there are no other African-Americans, people are like, are you okay with that? I'm I'm fine. (laughs) So uh, I don't, you know, you just want to get these sacrifices and things that you have to kind of decide whether or not you'll be okay with this. But in the medicine aspect, you that's the thing about the socialized system that you have to be okay with. Everybody has free health care, but that means there is going to be a wait for services. So you got four million plus people using all these services, but there's only so many physicians. So that means if I want to send you to see a dermatologist, there's a very good chance you might be waiting for six months before you see that dermatologist, which at first I thought was just horrific, but interesting enough, I tried to do that back home to see a specialist at one point, and they had like a you wait in anyway. List. Yeah, you're waiting that yeah. long anyway in the United exactly. States, also. And you're seeing a private physician, you're paying, and you still wait that long. So it's funny that I, at first I thought it was just like so horrendous, and then I realized, hey, back home for certain specialists, you probably could be waiting to see people too. So it's not that off, but um. The weight is one thing that you will hear grumblings about. Um, it, it might not be that fast and easy to get in to see things, especially if you have what's considered a minor problem. That's what um, I was going to ask. So, so the, this yeah. is, the weight is mainly for chronic issues, though, right? Yes, not exactly, acute. Like, exactly. You get no, no, no. shot. Acute. If you get shot in the arm or if you got oh, acute God, appendicitis, no, no. it's yeah. going to be taken yeah. care You're of going immediately. To the right? yeah, just for the record, it's everyone. Just like back okay. home. Yes, just just like back home. But. Um, Let's say, for example, things like cancer, there's never anything longer than a two-week wait to see a specialist. So it is, it works very quickly. And I would I'm probably glad you clarified that. probably just as fast as back home, if not faster. Um, I have had a woman come into my clinic. I had a suspicion she had cancer. From the time I saw her, like the first of December to the time she actually had her surgery was like 20 days, like the woman had her surgery on Christmas Eve, like they were not playing. She got, she got seen by me, a guy, an oncologist and had her surgery done within 24 days. So it, it goes very, very quickly. And I would hazard to say that it's just as fast as the United States when we're talking about acute serious issues. But if it's something chronic, then you could be waiting for a very, very long time. So, yeah, yeah, it, it is definitely a wait, and people do grumble about it. And I don't think a lot of Americans would really appreciate that um, because we're used to having things done right now. But some of us are used to waiting, too, because if you're in a, you know, a place where there's not a lot of physicians, you're going to be waiting, too. So, yeah. We've, we've covered as much with the clinical aspects as possible. And now, if you, if you allow me, I'd like to get into like the nitty gritty of basically personal life. Mm-hmm. My next question is, and you, you kind of talked about it a little bit, um, as a woman of color, what's your experience in New Zealand from a career standpoint, from a community standpoint? And are there any major differences in you know, how you're living right now in comparison to how life was back in the United States? Um, I would say that there are really no issues being a person of color here, specifically an African-American. I can, of course, only speak on our own experience. This country doesn't have the same history as the United States. Now, it is 
it is a colony of the United Kingdom, or excuse me, it was. So it's a commonwealth, I should say, of the United Kingdom. So it's very English and their history. Most people can trace their roots directly back to either England, Ireland, or Scotland. And so you have that very kind of English sensibility kind of thing, but they don't have that same history as we do in the United States. So they don't have a lot of preconceived notions or kind of pre- kind of, I don't want to say pre-racist ideas, but it's really they don't have that same notion and history as we do in the United States. So there was no Jim Crow. There, you know, there wasn't the same type of history we have as we do in the United States. So that being said, you are treated very differently than I find you in the United States. In fact, I find people more open, more welcoming, and more interested in you because you are a person of color because most of the time they've never met a person of color. Um, most people have never met, uh, you know, someone who is, you know, Hispanic American or African American. Um, so when they meet us, they're so incredibly interested in our story, who we are, our culture. So I think it's very um, open and welcoming, and I love that. I, I kind of feel like we're almost ambassadors for our race here because we teach people a lot about the African American experience. Um, so it, it's 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 definitely not a um, antagonistic relationship, and it's definitely like a not. It's definitely no fear. In fact, it's more of a really open kind of kind of educational <laughs> um, experience here. So, all right, Doctor Brown, no pressure. Represent us right. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I'm teaching these people about, like, I taught them, I've been feeding these people, so now all my Kiwi friends know what a sweet potato pie tastes like. They know what cornbread is. Like, I've totally done a crash course of soul food here. <laughs> do they have Patty LaBelle pies over there? They do not. They don't have anything. I have to make everything from scratch, so I am, like, a 10 times better cook than I was before I got here. I was good before, but I'm, like, awesome now because I have to make everything from scratch. There is no, like, jiffy cornbread at the store. There's none of that. I have to make my stuff from scratch. <laughs> oh, jiffy cornbread. That's a deal breaker for me. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> let, me, let me ask you another question, then. So what about in your family, uh, specifically of your family, your husband, you have a child, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So is there anything in your family that has changed for better um, or even for worse um, now that you're in New Zealand? So I would say for for better, it's, I, I, you know, once again, I'll, I won't sugarcoat things, but I'll be honest with this one. This one is like, is mostly better. There's really not worse, <laughs> if that makes sense. Um the for better part is, is that we are present. We are here a lot. We are actually a part of my son's life, so much so that his whole rearing, like his last two years of his life here, have been basically his parents around him at all times, uh, which mm. is beautiful considering that we had to have a live-in nanny when we were in the United States because we worked so much and we were always kind of you know gone or on call kind of thing. So I kind of feel like these last two years were kind of like a do-over um, because I feel that we're, we're both more present. I have a lot of time at home with him. I have a wonderful schedule. Um, I, I just feel like I'm literally present more, and I'm here for more milestones and more you know activities. And it's not that when is mommy coming home, it's like, oh, she's here again kind of thing. So I kind of, I really do feel like this has improved our family life so much. It's kind of, you know, ridiculous um, that we're always 
around each other. Now, the I guess the not so good side about it is that when you are somewhere so far away and you don't have like a lot of friends and a lot of structure, it's just kind of you. You're like your little nuclear family is just kind of it. And so you're kind of like, wow, you know, we're still here staring at each other, you know. <laughs> it's like a four-day weekend and we're still staring at each other kind of thing. So you don't get that chance to kind of, oh, I'm going to run off to the mall and I'm going to go hang out with my girls and, you know, that kind of thing. So you, you, don't, you don't have that, you know, opportunity to necessarily socialize as much or as many people as you did back home. We do have friends here. But, of course, when you're like, you know, in Atlanta or, you know, Houston or whatever, you know, you have like 40, 50 people to hang out with kind of thing so it's not quite the same um and you don't get a chance to spend as much time like i said with your family when you're not you know able to travel as much but um i would say for my family and um marriage standpoint this place has been like awesome it really has been Mm. it sounds like it in terms of um in terms of uh uh your work-life balance because obviously in the united states it looks like or it sounded like the balance was more shifted towards work, not much towards mm-hmm. a social life. And now that you're in New Zealand, it looks like you have more of a balance. And I would even say from an outside looking in, you can tell me if I'm wrong, it seems like you have more um, emphasis on your family life. Is there any uh, backlash at work with this type of lifestyle? Or is this something that everybody has? Everybody feels the same way? Everybody makes sure that, you know, their family life is is well taken care of and then work kind of comes second? Or is it similar yes, to the United that is, States? No, no, it's actually, it's the latter. It's people here, their whole mindset is different. It's shifted. It's not at all like it is in the United States. Um, I was so used to like hoarding my vacation time in the United States because we only had three weeks per year. So you're not going to blow that doing, you know, dumb stuff. So I would like hoard it, you know, and just keep it as long as possible. And my first time when we were here in New Zealand, I got called into my head of department's office after being there for three months. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I messed up. These people want me to leave kind of thing. And she sits me down and she says, we're very concerned you've been here for three months and you haven't taken any vacation. And I'm looking at her like, are you kidding me right now? I'm what? Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. They were like concerned about my well-being. Wow. I'm like, are you kidding? So to them, you, you have a life outside the hospital and you actually are a person and a physician and I'm a mother and a physician. And so they actually look at that. And so I have taken off sick days because my son was sick and I've not had, no one's better than I, um, I I feel like I'm very well supported and I've never felt that before with my job. It's just, it's a, it's a very refreshing feeling that if something happened, no one would be mad at me, nor would my job be in jeopardy or danger. Um, And one of the questions someone asked me, which is a really good question, you know, once again, a hard question, they're like, you're so far away from your family and your parents are elderly and my parents are in their seventies. And they're like, you were like, literally, like you said, a 20-hour trip away from Atlanta. How would you get to Atlanta if your parents fell ill or you needed to get there and spend some time with them? You're so far away. And we made that as a conscious, we literally broke all these things down, the, you know, the, basically the risk and benefits, the good and bad, when we decided to move here. And that's actually one of the things that actually made us want to come here because I have actually seen with my own eyes that if a person experiences a loss or has a sick family member in the United States and has to leave, these people will let it happen. And 
it won't be like a penalty or when are you coming back or I can't believe you're doing this and, you know, when is your mother going to get better kind of thing. And so I've actually seen people leave for like four and six weeks and go home and get affairs in order and take care of ailing family members and come back to their job and no one be mad at them. These people, they understand that you, you are a living, breathing soul with people that love you and need you and don't seem to have an issue with that. And I totally appreciate that. So when we were thinking about coming out here, I actually seriously thought about that. It's like something, God forbid, happened to one of my parents. I could leave this job tomorrow, go home to Atlanta and spend as much time as I needed. And I would have my job to come back to. And they would not be harassing me and telling me, oh, you only got two days off to bury your parent. You know, hurry up and come back. That, that would not happen here. And I, I really appreciate the fact that these people believe that, you know, you're a you're whole person. You are a whole person. They all think that way. They all think that they, they will use up every last single drop of their vacation. Some people actually will sometimes take more and just go with leave without pay. But, I mean, I am using up all my six weeks of vacation. Let's, let's put it that way. I am really going, mm. I'm really using it <laughs> and enjoying every minute of it. Mm. Now, what's your advice for other physicians who are considering moving abroad? Um, my advice is, is, honestly, you have to be true to yourself. Like I was saying before, this isn't for everybody. Some people can't appreciate or, or they won't like how slow things are here. Um, they won't appreciate the fact that the government has certain medications that they offer, and that's it. And you can't you can't write for something that they don't have here. And even if you like it and you use it all your life, if the New Zealand government doesn't you know subsidize or have it. You just can't use it. And some, there's some positions that are in so, you know, we're so much in control, so used to being in control, that they can't relinquish that. And it might be very difficult for them. And you, you have to be really honest that this system is so very different from what you're used to. You might not be okay with working it. It might stress you out or drive you nuts. I honestly would think that before you commit to doing something long-term, I would never recommend the American physician come straight off the bat and take a permanent position. I would recommend maybe doing a locum first. At least that way you can dip your toes in, see how you feel, see how you feel about living this far away, that type of thing. Um, but I would definitely say do your research. This is not the only place that you could work. I mean, my husband and I looked at other places. We looked at Canada. We looked at even working in, um, you know, we looked at working in the U.K. We even looked at working in certain places in Europe, um, in the Netherlands. So we looked at a lot of different places. Um, but, you know, when it came down to it, we needed something that was going to be a little bit more I guess, you know, common, you know, close to home, something that was very similar. And for us, an English-speaking country was going to be the easiest thing rather than have to battle with language plus culture. Um, but I would definitely say you really have to do your research before you kind of take that leap. Okay, so you've been in New Zealand, or at least you've been traveling, starting the process of basically disconnecting yourself from the United States um, roughly around 2010. So yes. you're roughly about six years out from doing this. My next question is, what advice would you have given yourself 10 years ago? So this is Dr. Carmen Brown as a resident uh, or even Dr. Carmen Brown as a medical student. What advice would you have given yourself, like what you know now, based off of where you are back then as a resident or even as a medical student? I... um. I would have given myself the advice of looking at the true um, and different options as far as practicing medicine. And I think we mentioned before that as physicians, we don't really get 
a lot of information about finances and how to manage our finances. Not at all. But in this, in the same way, we don't get a lot of information about different practice styles. And that's one of the things I'm proud of myself that when I was on faculty at St. Joe's, I actually did several lectures on, you know, different types of practice because I didn't want my residents to be farmed into thinking that you graduate, you go into private practice because that's not the only way you have to do it. And so I wanted to make sure that they knew there were other options out there. And I wish that I had have known there were other options out there, you know, that you could do. I didn't know there was a such thing as an OB hospitalist, and honestly, back then there wasn't. I mean, I, you know, when I started, there was no such thing as an actual laborist or OB hospitalist. But now these, there, there's so many different options. You can, you know, you can do an MPH and actually do, you know, a fellowship in sexual health. You can work overseas for the World Health Organization. You could do so many different things, and I don't think that we're necessarily exposed to that. So I wish my old self, my my new self, could have told my old self to kind of look into the different options that are available rather than just kind of put the blinders on and just do what everybody else does. Uh, that would have saved me a lot of time. Cause I, I, I feel like I spent five years in private practice, just unhappy, you know, cause it just wasn't for me. I love my patients. I love the continuity of care. I love taking care of those women. And I just love that aspect of it, but I didn't love what it did to my life at home, you know? So I kind of felt like I had to sacrifice myself to give to others and it wore me down. It took five years off of my life. So, you know, this, unfortunately, this is, it wasn't right for me. And it was great for the patients. And I did a great job. And I love my patients. But it, it hurt me, you know. So I really wish I had known there was alternative ways to practice medicine. Well, that's real talk. And I appreciate your honesty on that, on that question. No problem. So what about the, okay, so we, we, we've given advice to young Dr. Carmen Brown, student Dr. Carmen Brown, but what about you meet a medical student or even you meet a resident or even you meet an attending out there who's saying, you know what, I want to be just like you or I want to do exactly what you're doing, but you know what, I have A, I have B, I have Z, all these different excuses, they are too afraid to, to take the next leap. Is there anything that you can impart on them? to get them to the next level? I would definitely say if they can, I would recommend that they travel to the place that they're considering on working. So if they're wanting to like, you know, work in the UK, you know, go to Ireland, go to England and, you know, check it out, see how it feels. Um, I would also say that if they can find a physician, an American physician that's working there and kind of use them as a mentor, um, or, you know, just, you know, asking them questions, that would be optimal because you'd learn a little bit more. Um, and I would honestly say that it is doable. I, I really, I can't stand when people say, oh, that's impossible. I can't do that because I have blank. And it's funny because I'm looking at these people like, you thinking like, I don't have parents. I have parents too. You know, like I've heard right. all kinds of excuses. Like people say, oh, I have parents or I have bills back home or I have this or I have that. Now, you know, finances, I can't quite get too far into because I understand everybody has something different going on. I totally appreciate that. But if someone really wants to make something happen, you will find a way. So I really believe if they're that interested in doing this, you know, you really reach out to somebody who's doing that and ask them. I will be very honest. I've answered, I cannot tell you, like hundreds and hundreds of messages over the last several months of people who just reached out to me, uh, you know, via Facebook and that type of thing. Like, I heard you're in New Zealand. Can you tell me how you did? I heard you in New Zealand. Could I do that if I have X, Y, and Z going on in my life? So I'm actually 
talked to lots of people about their particular situations. And some people I've been honest with and told, no, you can't do it. You know, I, you know, I have a husband that has a felony on his record. Can we come like, eh, probably not, you know, Oof, but you no. can look into yeah. it. And, you know, so I kind of, you know, I, I've definitely fielded lots of questions and some of them have been like a negative and, but some of them have been very positive. I've told them, you know, you really, you need to just take that leap you can do it. In most cases, barring like those kind of unique circumstances, you can't actually do this. It's not, I'm not special. I'm not, you know, different from anybody else. I'm just a girl from, I'm not from Atlanta. I'm from Southwest Atlanta. I am not different. <laughs> so it, it Come on, Dr. Happen. Brown, give you yourself more it. credit. <laughs> give yourself more credit. But I know where I'm from. I just, I know it's not, this is not an impossibility. It can be done. So you don't ever miss the varsity? Oh God, yes. I was, we, we sit here and watch Food Network and I sit there and like fixate on things that I miss. And it's funny because when I went home the last time, I went to a conference in San Francisco and I spent weeks pouring over restaurants <laughs> and like stuff at Target because I'm like, I can't wait to go to Target. I can't wait to go here. So one of the first things I had was a grilled cheese sandwich, like one of those big giant ones on Texas. So it was hilarious. Right. So yeah, I do fixate on food and I do miss certain things. I miss that grease. <laughs> for audience members, for audience members who are, um, who are listening to this, uh, the Varsity is a famous what, hot dog restaurant in the heart of Atlanta. Yes. It's one of those places so that you have to go to. So Yes. Please do go to the varsity. <laughs> Bring me food. <laughs> well, right. Now you know, Dr. Brown, I did my residency in Atlanta at Morehouse actually at Grady. Oh wonderful. Wonderful. So, so that's why I'm that's why I'm pretty familiar with everything that you're talking about. For me, my oh, spot yeah. is, is is Waffle House. So Oh my God, I miss that too. Oh oh my god, I miss Waffle House too. <laughs> Talk about Greece. Oh yes. Here's some questions that I have for you. Uh, this is kind of rapid fire questions. Mm-hmm. What's next for you and your family? Like what what's going to to be the next thing that you are going to accomplish or the biggest thing or the next thing that you're really excited about? Obviously, moving and moving from uh, the United States to New Zealand is already is a huge feat. But what's next for you? What What is it that we need to be watching out from the Browns in terms of what you're going to do over the next five or even 10 years? Let's see. So actually, um, two things. Um, one is, is that I think because I didn't realize how interested people were in our situation, I used to keep a blog just for friends and family back home, but um, I've gotten so much um, kind of response from people asking me about how life is and wanting to kind of know what's going on. Um, I've actually been working with someone on like rebranding the blog. Um, I'm featured on expatblogs.com and I'm like really kind of working on that to kind of make it more of a kind of branded thing where I'm actually publishing more. I love writing and that was always something that was used to be (laughs) really good at. Um, And so now that I actually have time, um, I'm actually going to be hopefully writing more, uh, publishing more on our blog and kind of telling people a little bit more, not only about what it's like to be an African-American expatriate, but also about traveling and traveling with a young child and those types of things. So that's one thing. Um, The other thing is that talking about cooking, we have really created a huge ripple pretty much um, here with our cooking. And um, one of the things that my husband was actually kicking around is actually he was thinking about starting a restaurant. 
Um, it's very small scale initially, probably maybe just like a little kind of food truck kind of thing. Um, but that's one of the things that we're thinking about doing possibly in the next like five to 10 years. Wow. Okay. We might actually be out of medicine. <laughs> this uh, is going to be the last question of the interview. Okay. It's a, a phrase uh, that I've been uh, throwing around on Twitter where I um, I throw it to different physicians and it's basically a statement that's emphasizing the fact that they're a physician, but also at the same time, a physician or them being a physician doesn't describe who they are from a 100% standpoint, right? So this statement that I'm going to say to you, I want you to complete it. No pressure. Just give me your best answer. It's, I'm not just a doc. I'm a blank. And you can put whatever answer you want there. But I think it'd be interesting to hear, uh, or at least the audience members to hear, what's your thoughts on, I'm not just a doc, I'm a, and you can fill in the blank. Wow. (laughs) Wow, I'm not, wow, that's a good one. So, of course, I want to say, of course, I'm a a mother and a wife, but beyond that, I'm not just a (laughs) I'm not not just a physician and I think that's that's the thing being a wife and a mother is what drove me to go so far away from you know my comfort zone and where I've lived all my life the United States you know my home Um, but on on top of that I'm also I'm a student of the world I'm a traveler Um, and I love I love being international that's a perfect answer (laughs) that's a perfect answer well I, i'm actually a big fan of i don't know if you've ever heard of lewis Howes. he's no, a no. uh he, he's a uh, life uh lifestyle entrepreneur in the united states he has a podcast called the school of greatness and one of the things that he does on his podcast is he actually acknowledges all of his guests and i'm going to steal you know that idea from him because i i think it's a great idea in terms of, um, at least just in terms of building um, uh, a level of rapport between physicians in terms of doing things outside of clinical medicine. Um, So I wanted to just take time to just acknowledge you on what you've been able to do over the past six years. I mean, this is something that truly is unique. This is something that truly is outside of the box. And I know it took a lot of risk uh, to do something like this, um, but I'm amazed uh, my wife is amazed, and I'm sure uh, a lot of the people who are on Mocha Docs are amazed by your story. And I just wanted to acknowledge and applaud you for what you've done. Uh, you've done an amazing and great job. And I just wanted to say thank you very much for joining us on on this podcast. Not a problem. It's my pleasure. And thank you so much for having me. I, I really do appreciate this. And that's a wrap. That's it. Look, the first ever podcast is now behind us. I am really excited to bring more content more interviews to you all. So listen, I need you to be as interactive as possible. Send your reviews, whether they're negative, positive, constructive, doesn't matter. Leave your reviews on Stitcher, on iTunes. You could also contact me directly at DocsOTB at my Twitter handle, which is at DocsOTB, D-O-C-S-O-T-B. Okay. If there's anybody that you know who may be a good candidate Uh, to be on the show, someone that you've always wanted to hear from, nominate them, send me an email at docsotb at gmail.com. You never know, you may find your favorite person that you always wanted to hear from on the show. Also, I'm looking to get mm, somewhere in the range of one to two episodes a month. So make sure you subscribe. 
I'm going to try to fill you with as much content as possible. And you never know. Maybe we go to three, four. Who knows? All right. Now, if this message has resonated with you, the whole concept of not just being a doc, express yourself on Twitter. Send me a message at DocsOTB with the hashtag, I'm not just a doc, I'm a blank and fill in the blank. It could be, I'm a mother, Carmen Brown put down, I'm a world traveler, whatever you want, send me that message and let's get a movement started. Okay. So listen, we're going to end the show until next time, guys, remember to live outside the box.